Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Now to turn with me to Paul's second letter, or what we call his second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look this morning at 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 7, 1. So let's give our attention once again to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Most gracious Father, I ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. Indeed, that you would strengthen me by your spirit that I may proclaim the gospel boldly as I ought. That you would illumine all of our hearts and minds. That the thoughts of our minds and meditations of our hearts may be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's important for us to remember the context of what's going on because there's a lot in this verse and uh, in this passage. And there's, there's a few verses, or at least one in particular, that, that has often been used uh, kind of for a particular agenda, it seems. And, and, and I think has been misused for that agenda, misunderstood and misused. And so the kind of controlling thought as we look at this passage comes right at the beginning. Working together with him, then we appeal to you. So so Paul and, and his partners in ministry, working together with Jesus, working with the Spirit, working with God, they're appealing to the Corinthians to do this, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, I think a lot of what Paul goes on to say in, in the rest of this 
passage that we're looking at this morning has to do with what it means to not receive the grace of God in vain. And, and, and I want to just dispel right up front, one way that we often think about this is like, oh, okay, well, if, if you don't want to receive the grace of God in vain, then, then you better start being good. Right? That, that's for a lot of us, I think, what it means to not receive the grace of God in vain. is okay, believe in Jesus and, and then get to being good. Right Now, I'm not anti-sanctification. I'm not anti-holiness. I'm not anti-being good. Those are all great things. I just don't think that's the right way to approach what it means to receive the grace of God in vain when we understand this verse in the context that we find this verse in. Here's why. Remember what's going on in Corinth. Yes, there's been all kinds of foolishness happening in Corinth. And, and that's covered in, in 1 Corinthians. And, and they, were, they were just buck wild. We get that, right? And, and certainly that needed to stop. But 1 Corinthians, or what we call 1 Corinthians, had, had, had some time had passed from when that was written to when 2 Corinthians is being written. And in that time, some people showed up from Jerusalem with some teachings that were at least similar to the people that showed up in Galatia from Jerusalem. And, and they were a little bit into the law of Moses and, and, and kind of were giving the people some rules. And they showed up and they looked good. They were impressive. We've covered that. That They had letters of recommendation and, and, and they were great speakers and, and all of this stuff. Very persuasive and, and all of that. And so the, the Corinthians had started listening to them. And one of the things that we know that they were teaching was adding law to grace. Well, which doesn't work. Paul tells us later, are they Hebrews? Yes, so am I. Are they this? Yes, so am I. Are they this? this? But then he, he equates them with, with apostles of Satan. It, it's really a stark contrast when we think about what they're doing. They weren't showing up saying, hey, you should worship all these false gods. That wasn't what was going on. So, so partly to receive the grace of God in vain is to add law to grace. That, that's part of how we, we receive the grace of God in vain. And, and that's contrary to so, so often to how we think. But I want us to see as we work through this passage that, that that's what Paul is driving at here. So don't receive the grace of God in vain. We're going to unpack that as we walk through this passage. For he says, he backs up this claim or, or this idea, this appeal he backs it up by going to the Old Testament. But for him, by going to the Bible, right? He, he looks at Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8, which we read earlier. In a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Here, the, 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 the prophet Isaiah has been sent by Yahweh to the people of God to say, look, I know it's been bad, but, but something great is coming. I've listened to you. My mercy is new. It's coming. It, the, the end is coming, and it's going to be great. I'm going to hear you. And this is one of the places where we, where we get the language about coming and drinking without buying and, and all of that kind of stuff. God shows up to these people and announces just incredible grace. He announces mercy. That's what's coming. I've heard you. And I'm showing you my favor. And Paul then takes this verse and says, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Well, what has happened between when Isaiah wrote those words and now when Paul has appropriated them for his uses? Jesus. That's what has happened. 
The Son of God came and took on flesh and fulfilled the law and fulfilled the promises and died in our place. As he just said, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is what has happened from the time that Isaiah foretold this day to come and when Paul is now appropriating those words saying that day has come. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. Why? Because of Jesus. Because he has accomplished for us all that the law required of us. He has satisfied God's wrath. He has fixed and and brought the solution to our exile. He has paid the price for our sin. He has shown up and made the mercies of God and the grace of God new every morning. That's why Paul can say to the Corinthians and why I can say to us this morning, now is the favorable time. It's not because we look out at the world and see like, oh, everything's just going so swimmingly. It's just beautiful. No, it's not. There's wars. There's there's earthquakes. There's there's school shooting. It's not going great out in the world. How in the world can we say now is the favorable time? How can we say now is the day of salvation? Because of Jesus. Because he has come and he has conquered sin and death by his living and his dying and his rising again. He has secured eternity for his people. Yes, the world is coming unhinged and it has been for millennia. But this is a favorable time because all that needed to be accomplished for the salvation of the people of God has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we, sinners though we are, might become the righteousness of God. What what more favorable time could we imagine than that? That we who are sinners somehow become the righteousness of God. And how? Through Jesus Christ. So he wants them to understand that's what our message is. That's what we're bringing to you. That's what we have to say. And we've put no stumbling block before you. And and then he lists this this long list of, of kind of what his ministry has looked like riots and and sleepless nights and beatings and imprisonments, but he's relied on the Spirit. He's been genuine in love. He's he's been patient. He's been kind. He's been truthful in his speech. He's worked by the power of God. All of these things. It's just this long run-on sentence of, hey, here's what our ministry has looked like. Now, he's doing two things by listing all this. He's acknowledging, yes, I get it. You could look at me and my, my partners in ministry, and you could look at what we've endured, and you could say, man, There is no power whatsoever in that guy and what he has to say. Because he's been beaten, because he's been left for dead, because he's dealt with all of these hardships. You can look at my life, you can judge me according to the flesh, or, like we said last week, you cannot do that. And you can look at the God who has sustained me through all of this. And you can look at the fact that I've endured all of this for you, without requiring anything of you, but just giving you the hope 
of the gospel. See, what he's doing is he's setting up this, this pretty stark contrast between him and these super apostles that, that, he's, that he's kind of at war with. They haven't shown up and required nothing. They've required stuff of you. They've required you to serve them. They've required you to pay them. They've required all of this. And yes, I get it. They've shown up. They've been impressive. They're persuasive. They're beautiful. All of those things. But they're using you is what Paul's saying. I, on the other hand, am not. I'm enduring the hardships of this life that I might give you the love of Christ and nothing else. So that's what that long sentence is about. It's, it's not marching orders for how you don't receive the grace of God in vain, which sometimes it may be taken that way. Oh, to not receive the grace of God in vain, you've got to live this horribly miserable life for Jesus. No, that's not. Paul's just describing his life. Well, we've got to distinguish between descriptive stuff and prescriptive stuff. Here, Paul's describing what his ministry has looked like, not prescribing necessarily what ours needs to look like. Now, yes, I get it. Life in this world is going to be hard. I get it. We're going to suffer for Christ. I get all of that. But, but we've got to make sure we're keeping things in the right categories as we're walking through. What does it mean then to not receive the grace of God in vain? Paul describes his ministry. And, and he's describing and he's saying, I have faced all this and I haven't received it in vain. So another thing that receiving the grace and not receiving the grace of God in vain looks like is it doesn't necessarily mean that, that if your life doesn't go just great, if you're not hashtag blessed, then you've received the grace of God in vain. No, not at all. There's, from a worldly perspective, there's nothing that is, looks very blessed about Paul's life. But he has not received the grace of God in vain. So, so he's not making this kind of name it, claim it, word of faith type thing. That, that's not what it means. It means in all of this, you keep resting in Jesus. My worth is not in what I own, we sang earlier. But the blood of Christ. That's where we're found. So then in verse 11, he goes back to him. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. We, he's just simply saying, we love you. And everything that we have done has been done out of love for you. That you might know the love of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection on your behalf. You are not restricted by us. I haven't put anything on you. I haven't, I haven't shut you down in any way. I've not put law on you. I've not restricted you in any way. But you are restricted in your own affections. He, he just turns the table on them completely. Because part of, part of what, what the, the, the super apostles were doing was saying, oh, Paul's just trying to take advantage of you. But basically, they were accusing Paul of everything they were doing. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not what has happened here. I haven't put any restrictions on you. I haven't locked you down in any way. You've done that to yourself because what you desire is this world. And so these guys showed up seemingly possessing the world, but giving you law. And you wanted the world. And so that's where the restrictions have come from from your affections, from what you desire. And isn't that paradoxical to how we typically think? We think that freedom is, is getting our affections, getting what we want. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Freedom is only found in Jesus Christ, not in possessing the things of this world. 
When, when we think that we're free, when, when, we, when we're getting all of our desires met, when we're getting all of our affections satisfied in this world, we, we think, oh, I'm free. Paul said, no, no, no. That's the most restricted you can be. Because you're not connected to the one who actually gives life. I, in return, I, I speak as to children, he says parenthetically, he's not trying to put them down there, I don't think. Widen your hearts, uh, uh, widen your hearts also. What Paul's asking them is listen to us. Hear us out. Remember the gospel that we preached to you. Hear what we have to say. Widen your hearts to us as we have widened our hearts to you in love. Listen to us. Hear this word of Jesus. That in him you are forgiven. In him you are righteous. In him the wrath of God is satisfied. Now in that context, the editors of all of our Bibles inserted a heading to start a new section. And it says this, the new section, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And here's why, uh, here's why some of these section headings drive me crazy. Sometimes they're helpful. But sometimes, like here, they interrupt the flow of what Paul's saying. And we're like, oh, okay, he brought that, to a, that, that thought to a close. Now he's starting something new. So what in the world could do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers mean? Oh, it must mean don't marry non-Christians. Now, here's the thing about this. Two things. One, it's probably not a good idea, right? Just wisdom would dictate that if you marry someone who has a fundamentally different belief system than you do, it's going to be a hard marriage. But here's the other thing about that interpretation of this passage. Paul hadn't been talking about marriage at all. At any point up to, up to now, he is... That, that's not what he's concerned with with the Corinthians in this letter. He, he's not trying to make sure that they understand a good doctrine of marriage and, and what needs to flow. What's he been concerned with? He's been concerned with defending himself against these super apostles. That's what he's been concerned with in the, in the immediate context. That's what he's concerned with in the broader context. So is, is there some way that this might have to do with that? Actually, yes, there is. Because this word yoked, there's a version of it that a couple of times is used in reference to marriage. But, but this word that Paul uses here is never used that way. Never in the New Testament, never in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek. of the, It's just not used that way. Here's how it is used. When Paul in Galatians lays out the gospel and then tells them, so, for freedom, you have been set free. Therefore, don't submit again to a yoke, same Greek word, of slavery. What's he talking about? He's talking about the law there in Galatians 5.1. It's used the same way by Peter in Acts 15 at the council when, they, when Paul shows up and is like, hey, here's the gospel, here's this. And Peter's like, yeah, don't yoke them with this law that even we haven't kept. It's used by Jesus, same word, when he says, come to me, give me your burdens, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
See, here's what I think Paul's doing. I think Paul, and, and yes, I get it. He's going to call us to holiness. We'll get to that in a second. Don't worry. I'm going to, going to say the things that, that were once said. But here's what he's doing first. He's linking these super apostles up with the unbelievers that are leading people away from Christ. He's saying, don't yoke yourself to that. It won't work. See, there's a sense in which part of what he's saying here, and it's part, he's saying more than this, but part of what he's saying is you can be yoked to Jesus or you can be yoked to Moses. But you can't be yoked to both. You can't be yoked to both. Your life can be controlled by Jesus. It can be ruled by Jesus. Your redemption can be found in Jesus. Or... In Moses, but not both. To, 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 try to, to try to yoke yourselves to both would be like I told the kids, trying to yoke a giraffe and a donkey together. It doesn't work. It never will. I think that's what Paul's driving at. Don't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be yoked to Jesus and then something that leads you away from Jesus. That's what he's driving at. Now, are there implications there for marriage? Well, sure. Are there implications there for all kinds of other stuff? Yes. But we've got to see what the fundamental idea in what Paul is saying is. He's saying don't yoke yourself to Jesus and then think you can yoke yourself to someone or something that leads you away from Jesus. Don't yoke yourself to the, to the apostolic proclamation of the cross and then also try to yoke yourself to the super apostolic proclamation of Moses. It won't work. Don't be unequally yoked. If you are in Christ, stay yoked to Jesus. Stay connected to him. Rest wholly in him. And anything that might lead you away from him for your salvation, anything that might lead you away from him for your hope, your security, your identity, anything that might lead you away from Jesus Christ as the foundation of your life, as the foundation of your salvation, unhook yourself from it. Completely. Anything. Even if it's these false apostles. Now he goes on, he says, for what he, he asks all these kind of rhetorical questions. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? With what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He draws this hard contrast. Between righteousness and lawlessness. Now remember though, earlier, he drew a similar contrast between the ministry of righteousness being the ministry of the new covenant and the ministry of condemnation and death being the ministry of the old covenant. He draws this righteousness between all of these different things that they might look to for their hope, for their security, for their identity other than Jesus Christ. He draws this contrast between all of these things that they might look to to get what is freely offered in Jesus. And he's saying they don't mix. They can't be held together. Light and dark, righteous lawlessness, all of these things. If you want to be righteous, where do you go? You go to Jesus. If you want to walk in the light, where do you go? You go to Jesus. What accord has Christ with Belial? Now, who's Belial? He's not a Corinthian god that people worship. That's not who he is. 
Belial is a word that's used all throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, for, for all different kinds of means. Sometimes it's used uh, of Satan, sometimes it's used of a worthless one, sometimes it's used of people who would lead you astray from the true and living God. Now listen to what he says about these false apostles. In chapter 11, he says, And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. See, Paul's pulling no punches in writing to the Corinthians. Yes, it's his most pastoral, most personal kind of letter. But he's making very clear, you have two options, Jesus or anything else. And he's giving this warning. Don't be yoked to anything else. Because it will lead you astray. It will have you plowing in circles. Be yoked exclusively to Jesus Christ. Unyoke yourself from anything or anyone who leads you away from him for your righteousness. Unyoke yourself from anything or anyone who leads you away from him for your salvation. Unyoke yourself from anything or anyone who leads you away from him for your hope, your security, and your identity. Unyoke yourself from anything and anyone who would lead you away from Jesus for life. Be yoked to Jesus exclusively. Nothing else. Then he dips back into the Old Testament. For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. And then he strings together a bunch of kind of semi-quotes and references from Leviticus and Isaiah and Ezekiel kind of all over the place to say this. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. And I will welcome them and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, all of these verses that he links together are being given to, to sinful Israel. This isn't what he, he didn't link anything. This isn't pre-fall language. This isn't stuff he said to Adam. This is stuff he's saying to his people when they have wandered far from him at different points in their history. So in light of that, think about what what he's saying. I'm going to come to you in your sin and dwell with you. I'm going to come to you in your brokenness and be your father. I'm going to come to you in your failures and dwell in your midst. And so you come to me and I'll be there. Now again, where did this take place? Well, we have a picture of it with the tabernacle. We have a picture of it with the temple. But most supremely, most clearly, most definitively, this took place in the person and work of Jesus Christ who came and tabernacled among us and came and dwelt among us and made his dwelling among us and became like us. Why? To bring us to God as our Father. 
And what did he ask of us? Not be good and make sure you're up to snuff because we're about to go meet dad. No. He said, come to me and unburden yourself. Let me take your burdens. Here, you take mine. They're easy. My yoke is light. You just come to me and I will welcome you. I will welcome you and you shall be. You will be sons and daughters to me. This is phenomenal. Paul, Jesus, God, they are saying to sinners, I know you're a sinner. I know you are a rebel to God's will. I know you have spurned his grace. I know you have spurned his mercy. But he is coming to you. For God so loved the world, the world in all of its brokenness, in all of its sin, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would come to him, will not perish, but have eternal life. Short form version of what Paul has said here from the Old Testament. Or we could go to Romans 5. It's not that we love God. It's that God loved us at the right time while we were sinners and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What are we told over and over and over? Not get yourself cleaned up. So that maybe when you make it to God, he'll accept you. What we're told over and over and over from the very beginning, right at the fall, God comes to Adam and Eve and he clothes them. And that's the story for the rest of scripture. I will come to you in your sin. I will come to you in your pain. I will come to you in your failures. I will come to you in your fear. I will come to you in all of it. I will come to you. And when you turn to me, in all of that, I'll welcome you. When you come to me with all your stuff and you start unburdening yourself and putting it on me, I'll take it. And I'll give you my yoke that is easy. My yoke that is light. And I will yoke you to me. And I will carry you and all of your stuff. Is that not the message of Scripture beginning to end? I'm coming to you. I'm coming to meet you where you are so that you can come to me. And I will welcome you. It's the greatest promise ever made. That he sees us exactly how we are. He sees us in in all of our failures. And he comes. And he says, look at me. Look at me. I'll welcome you in. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's wanting the Corinthians to understand. And that's what the super apostles are trying to lead them away from. They're saying, no, 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 no. Get all the stuff right. Do all the things. Be impressive to God. And he's going, no. Don't yoke yourself to that. That's unbelief. 
Those are apostles of Satan disguised as apostles of Christ. Don't yoke yourself to that. See, this is freedom. That we can be utterly and completely defined in Jesus Christ. And we don't need to add anything to that. That he's enough. That he is sufficient. And nothing needs to be added. Another weird thing the editors did is they added these chapter breaks in. And they took concluding words like since and said, this seems like a great place to start a new chapter. Since we have these promises, beloved, what promises? Everything we've just laid out. That God is going to come to us in all of our brokenness. That he's going to come to us knowing we're sinners. That he's going to send his son to die that we may have life. That he's going to make him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the right. Since we have those promises. Not those rules. Not those laws. Not those checklists. Not those get your stuff together. Since we have those promises that I will be your God and you will be my people, that I will welcome you in, that I will be the dad who sees his son running back from a far off land where he has squandered everything and I will throw a party because my son has come home. Since we have those promises, let's cleanse ourselves from every defilement from everything that leads us away from Jesus, from everything that we find our hope and our security and our identity in, from everything that we look for for our stand, look to for our standing with God, from everything that isn't Jesus, let's cleanse ourselves. Now, I want you to notice something here. This is a real call to holiness. That's what he says. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It's a real call to holiness. But notice how we get there. Since we have these promises. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The old covenant, the law, Moses, brings condemnation, brings death. The new covenant, The gospel, Jesus, brings life. It was called a ministry of righteousness. See, that's Paul's point. If we yoke ourselves to anything but Jesus, it doesn't end with righteousness. But if we yoke ourselves to him, it always will end with righteousness. You don't go through righteousness to get to Jesus. It's exactly the opposite. You go through Jesus to get to righteousness. So here's the freedom you have. Unyoke yourself from the affections that draw you away from Jesus. Unyoke yourself from the promises of this world to give you a hope and a security and identity that draw you away from Jesus. Unyoke yourself from the constant trying to control everything, to make it look just right, to be righteous, that maybe God will look down and be satisfied because it leads you away from Jesus. And yoke yourself to Jesus and Him alone 
unburden yourself of every other thing that defiles that simple faith and rest in Christ. Because as I've already told you, in Him, you are forgiven. In Him, you are righteous. In Him, you are a child of God. You need nothing and no one else. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it gives us. We thank you that we're called into righteousness through your grace, through your promises, through your son, and not the other way around, for we would never get there if it was the other way around. We thank you that we have the freedom to unyoke ourselves from all of the things that we're told we need to be attached to and be yoked exclusively to Christ. And that that'll be enough. And we pray, Father, that we would not receive the grace of God in vain by thinking that we have to supplement it somehow. That thinking that the finished work of Jesus Christ is finished, but not quite enough. Teach us, Father, to rest in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.